0: you're listening to the SubClub Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores.
1: Let's get into the show.
2: Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and my guests today are Mark Kennedy and Jeff Bailey, co-creators of the None to Run app. Mark is an RRCA certified distance running coach and created None to Run as a blog and personal outlet to stay in touch with his passion for exercise science and healthy living. Jeff has been developing iOS apps since 2009 and teamed up with Mark to build an app as a none-to-run community started to take off and requests for an app could no longer be ignored. On the podcast, we talk with Mark and Jeff about community-led growth, how they improve trial start rates by 25%. And why running ads for a blog post might actually perform better than sending people directly to the app store. Hey, Jeff, Mark, so great to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having us, David. I really enjoy the sub called podcast and it's uh, nice to be on the other side of it now. Yeah, ditto.
0: Good to be here
2: awesome well I wanted to kick things off with the story of none to run so you know we've talked in my office hours quick little plug I do do weekly office hours that anybody can sign up for uh, hit me up at david at RevenueCat.com if, if you haven't taken advantage of that before but you know we've we've met in those office hours so uh, we've talked through through some of this but I think it's really fascinating as kind of an origin story for an app so uh, mark why don't you tell us uh, about none to run and, and how you got started with it
1: sure so yeah i mean i'll take it back further back than even the around a little bit to give you some context so i studied exercise physiology and kinesiology in university so it's always had a passion for health and fitness um, and then life happened and anyways my career sort of pivoted into the uh, investment world so that's where i worked for 20 years in fact i actually just finished my job or quit my job Two months ago so i'm doing none to run full time um nice which is exciting and scary at the same time but um anyways yeah i started a blog uh it was around 2009 um i was living in england at the time my wife and um my brother was he was kind of always been a, a hacker coder guy so he he was the one who said and my wife he's like you guys you should start a blog because you love health and fitness and a lot of people are writing about stuff and so it sounded interesting to me so my brother coded an html a blog for me and i think i crashed the site every time i tried to update it so i was (laughs) calling him um but i was writing about health and fitness um in general just very general topics and i uh, found myself over time writing more and more about running uh which is a passion i was training for the marathon in dublin uh, ireland um, so, over time, I just sort of kept on talking about running. I was doing a podcast and interviewing uh, other running experts and uh, medical experts who did stuff in the running industry. And then I figured, well, maybe I should should change the name to reflect more. I'm talking about running. So, I wanted to come up with a plan uh, for runners and I decided on beginners because... Um, there's just a lot of information out there for more seasoned runners. You know, there's runner's world and there's a whole world out there if you're really deep into the running scene. So I wanted to focus on beginners. So I actually was digging around Reddit and I was, you know, I discovered that Couch to 5k was the plan. Everyone was talking about Couch to 5k, um, but the more and more I read within these uh, Reddit, um, subreddits, uh, people struggled with Couch to 5k. A lot, not everyone, but uh, there was a, big subset of people struggling and they um, they found it ramped up too quick they are getting injured and frustrated losing motivation and momentum so I came up with the name none to run because I wanted my plan to be about running not about attaining a certain distance um so right. I came with the term you know starting from zero instead of a couch and the goal is running um, doesn't matter how fast you are so that's sort of how the name came to be um, and I came up with a, a running plan that that did uh, those things I just said where it sort of started off gradually people could repeat weeks if they wanted to and it was more about just getting out there and running building momentum getting tiny wins
2: yeah and that's interesting because a lot of people feel like they need to really hit this really broad market it's like oh running like I need to I need to like you know do advanced running and intermediate and and I should be writing articles on all of them but but it's really interesting that that you decided to focus on beginners. Was that very, very conscious? I mean, you're talking about like, there's just not a lot of content. Um, But like, did you think I'll focus on beginners and then eventually get to advanced running? Or was it just a really conscious effort to like really boil it down and and focus on a very like small niche within a niche?
1: I wasn't sure. I I knew like, starting sort of with a smaller subset of people and really getting to know it was probably better than trying to be um, having a broader appeal where no one, you know, and I can't compete with runner's world and there's lots of right. great running coaches. I, I'm just, I wasn't out there nor trying to compete with those people. So I'm like, why don't I really go niche and really help beginners? And and I really like the sports psychology aspect of um, getting people started and gaining momentum. Um, so I really, I really like that. Yeah. So I started with that. And I I still, you know, we do have other plans in the app that go beyond just running. Um, So we'll see where it it ends up. But I really like this beginner space. I feel like we, you know, we can have a really big impact on these people and it's changing people's lives. And um, I really like that. So um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes.
2: Yeah. And so then when you did kind of pare down into this more niche audience, um, is that part of what you helped you actually build? I mean, imagine kind of like you're saying, like there's so much out there for um, advanced runners and there's magazines and blogs and performance coaches. And like, there's so much out there. Um, yeah. how did, So how did you start to like grow the audience and did it kind of naturally start growing because you went so super, super niche?
1: Um, basically, there was one blog post I wrote that really struck a chord with people and it continues to do so. And I, I think it's called uh, the three flaws and Couch to 5K and a better, <laughs> safer plan for beginner runners. And over time, it just organically seemed to show up quite high when you search for Couch to 5K. And it continues to do so. I do these weekly community calls with um, Nandaran community members and I ask them how they found out about to run, And the most common theme I'm hearing is literally a search like, couch to 5k too hard or couch to five, create something easier, um, or alternative to couch to 5k. Um, so it was one blog post, which was kind of the cornerstone of like, huh, I think there there's more to what I originally anticipated with, um, these, they're not flaws. Couch to 5k is a great plan works for many, but, um, just deficiencies that kind of other beginners might resonate with. Um, and then there's a couple other articles that got a bit of traffic, but that was, The main one, and it continues to to be the main post today.
2: Yeah, that's great. And then and then, how did you start parlaying that into what is now a community and a huge email list? And how did how did you go from this this blog post and niching down to to then building a bigger business around it?
1: Right. So there was um, it created a running plan which went along with the site. Um, So it's a twelve week beginner running plan. So basically, said the the plan was on the website, but it wasn't a Weird looking graph, and I'm like, Hey, if you want a pretty PDF of this or and, and the audio files to go along with it, um, you know, sign up to email, you'll we'll send you a beginner email series for runners, and I'll send you a PDF. And that just started to slowly grow. Um, you know, before I eventually approached Jeff, I think there's about 20,000 people on the email list, and um. Yeah, there was you know obviously a common request that people had, which you'll probably ask me about at some point. But um, that's sort of how it started to grow. And then there was a Facebook group as well, we um, which was my wife's idea, um, but that really resonated with people as well. And that's grown over time to um, it's about twelve thousand five hundred people or so now today. So um, just community people telling each other.
2: Yeah, that that's fascinating. Part of part of why I wanted to have you and Jeff on today is just that you know, so many so many apps are like, oh, I have this app idea. And then, you know, you just throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. And it's really cool to hear from from a founder like you who, who came at it from the exact opposite direction. Like you built an email list, you built a, a community, you built demand for a product that didn't yet exist to the point where people, you know, we've talked about this to people were like begging you to build an app. Um, and I think that's... It's such a different mindset. I think that that a lot of developers kind of uh, start with the the app as the end all, versus kind of like meeting people where they're at with content, with community, with. You know, and it's so smart. You know, to this day, I do not have an email list. I never built it up within my apps. I never built it up on a website. It's a huge regret. So many of the kind of indie success stories are built around this foundation of of community, of, of a bigger email list, of, of kind of these inbuilt marketing. So anyhow, I'd love to transition then to, to Jeff. So Mark emails you saying, I've got this community, I've got these, this demand. Uh, can we build an app? What what was that like having uh, uh, Mark email you? And then what was your thought process of this crazy guy and am I actually gonna build an app? And how do I uh, how do I manage that with everything else I have going on?
0: Yes, <clears throat> so you you probably know this, David. You get you get these probably random emails, right, from people from time to time. You know, build me an app. I want to buy your app. You know, I want you to you know add support for for my stuff in in your app, that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, this this one, I you know, I went out to Nunderun's site, took a look at it, and decided to you know, let's just chat and talk about it. And you know, Mark and I hit it off. He's you know, seemed pretty legit. So. You know, we, we started off actually pretty slow. So at the time I had, well, I still do have a um, pretty popular interval training app um, that was really an app that I launched back in 2015. And and it, it really started out as just kind of a scratch my own itch type app, you know, mm-hmm. and because I, I was consulting for a big part of my career, I did consulting and I had just left a company that had really good fitness facilities and at lunchtime they had classes and i would do like this core body class you know 3 4 times a week and i really you know really enjoyed it and then i went to this other company and i kind of missed that and I wanted to keep doing that core body workout. So I, you know, I started um, looking at different apps and you know, you know how it is. It's like, ah, you know, I don't like any of these. I can build, you know, and I also kind of wanted to, I was really just kind of transitioning from like being an enterprise Java consultant to iOS consulting at the time. I'd been doing iOS development for a time, but not as a full-time consulting gig. So decided to build this app, had it out there for a while. Mark contacted me, you know, we started out slow. I basically just integrated, uh, his none to run plan um so you could basically just kind of quickly create uh all the runs within intervals pro but you know it wasn't a great integration you didn't re- it didn't really right. keep track of your workouts you know it's, it's just kind of a starting point and we we kind of went like that for for a while and until you know we decided to build the, build the app
2: yeah and I, i'm curious i i didn't ask before so feel free to punt on this question um, but I'm curious if you're open to share or, or share in generalities how you structured the initial engagement or partnership. You know, was it a contracting gig for a little while and eventually became partners? And we're getting ahead of the story a little bit. You know, as as you did partner on it, but uh, you know, for for as much as you're willing to share, I'm curious kind of what the arrangement was in the early days and then how that uh, transitioned over time.
0: Yeah, you know, originally when I when I did the initial integration of None to Run into Intervals Pro, you know, it was basically just cross-promotional. You know, I got right. some benefit out of it because, you know, he could point people to my app, right? And he got benefit out of it because people were begging him for an app. So it basically started out as a handshake agreement, no, no financial, uh, you know, implications all just just cross-promotional and um you know when we decided to build the app it's actually still pretty much a handshake agreement you know I, i built the app sweat equity um mark you know had the email list you know he has this nice community and all that so we share the profits um and you know we we actually need to formalize things a little bit better as time goes on here. But
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's great to hear. I mean that that's that's how I got started. That's how I did a lot of my early apps was handshake agreement. More recently, I have you know uh, kind of a basic template. You know, after because things do go south when when you do these kind of partnerships. So eventually, having some kind of written rules around it is is smart and having some form of uh, you know, prenup around, well, what happens if, you know, one person wants to go a different direction or the other person's not investing anymore? You know, there's there's a lot of intricacies to be solved, but when you're just getting started and you don't know if it's going to take off, you know, sometimes it is easier to just shake the hand and know you trust the other person. And um, you know, I've had, I've had some very good outcomes that way myself. Um, so after you um, agreed to, to actually build an app, what was the launch like? So you you already had this following, you already had this email list. Um, was it just like, you know, blasted out of the gate and made a ton of money on day one or or what was that launch process like?
1: Yeah. So we built up some anticipation with people saying, okay, it's finally coming. And then, you know, Jeff and I had to prepare for the onslaught when we didn't launch an Android version. That's a whole another maybe podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm in constant communication with my community members, um, you know, whether it's through the Facebook group or um, by email. So just sort of saying, hey, it's being worked on. It's coming. Jeff, I can't even remember if we invited a few beta people into test or not. But, um, yeah, just prepared people. And then we, we actually launched on my birthday of 2020, oh, cool. March 3rd. That's, that's why I remember the launch date. So, you know, literally like two weeks before the whole world started to shut down. So... I think that was good timing. But um, anyways, so we had a nice audience of people to initially launch it to on day one because you know I don't think people would have probably downloaded it just from the app store based on seeing it, you know, I had no reviews. Um, but we had this nice little audience, so we definitely had a pretty good month, you know, a bit of a spike, and then it kind of started to, you know, it definitely went down the next couple months, and then pretty much consistently since then, we've been just Growing nice and steadily month by month. Um, it's been you know just uh, just over two years now. So yeah, having an audience to launch to was definitely uh, really helpful.
2: Yeah, um, it's interesting. I talk to a lot of folks who have this idea that if they if they just got an influencer, if they just got you know somebody who had an audience, um, that it's just you know would would be this huge unlock for their business. And then you know some businesses I've seen you know there's a lot of fitness apps where it's uh you know a specific celebrity and their it's like their fitness app but the interesting thing that that happens and it sounds like you kind of saw this as well is it you kind of saturate your initial audience pretty quickly it's like yes. you know if you if you have 20,000 people in your email list well 20,000 people, 20, people aren't going to download the app and 20,000 people aren't going to um, then subscribe. What, what, what did the numbers look like at that launch? So you had a very passionate following. So your numbers are, are probably going to be a lot higher than you know the average kind of you know less passionate community. But
0: but what did those early numbers look like as far as conversion? So the numbers, you know, we didn't know what to expect, right? So intervals to this day is actually um, just a free download and a single in-app purchase. I, I plan to transition over to subscription probably sometime this year. But So, you know, I'd never done a subscription app before and, you know, we really didn't have a good sense for, you know, what sort of conversion rate are we going to get how many what percent of people are going to start the free trials uh what percent of people are actually going to convert to paying users and um you know originally when we launched the app in in march of 2020 that initial um cohort of of people that signed up we had a like 89 almost 90 percent people that signed up for the trial actually converted to be paying users so that was was pretty crazy
2: yeah that's it that's like industry leading. That's yeah. pretty amazing.
0: And, you know, actually to this day of people that actually sign up for the trials, we have a conversion rate of about 80%. So that from from what you've told us, David, that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's absolutely
2: great. And, and maybe, maybe even a sign that you need to be a little more, uh, a little less lenient with your freemium strategy or a little more, you know, aggressive with the paywall or something. Uh, you know, every everything ends up being kind of a, a trade-off. So, you know, you, you can kind of, Push harder to get a higher trial start rate, and then sometimes that'll kind of um, lessen your trial conversion rate. And you know, every little tweak you make to one part of the funnel can affect things up and down the funnel. Um, but yeah, I mean, shoot, 80% uh, trial conversion is is very high. Uh, compared to a lot of the folks we talked to, and and I, I am uh, working with our data scientists to put out some benchmarks later this year that'll hopefully shed a, a little bit more light on the variance in that. But yeah, eighty percent is fantastic. And then so again, of that twenty thousand you know person audience, what what were the initial downloads like? Did you get you know five thousand downloads? Did you get a few thousand downloads? Like what, what? And what were the subscription numbers like early in those days?
0: I think within about a m- month or so, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, we had about a thousand paying subscribers. So, yeah, we were, we were very, very pleased with that number. And, um, and, you know, we, we had a, we did definitely have a spike of downloads at the very beginning because of all the, right. you know, anticipation that Mark built up in, in the, in the community. You know, the community was the key there to, to have a good launch. And, Honestly, to this day, you know, we have pretty, we have pretty steady downloads, but we, we don't have huge download numbers, you know, our downloads right. are in the, in the low hundreds a day, you know, it intervals, okay. Pro, it gets like double, double those numbers, you know, it's probably about, you know, four five, 600 downloads a day, but, but, you know, we get steady, we get steady downloads and we have, um, good trial start rates about 20%. Um, to this day, even even higher at, at launch. So because of the trial start rates and the conversion rates, you know, we've been able to, to grow that subscription base over time.
2: Yeah, I think that's one thing a lot of people don't don't think about in the in the like kind of funnel dynamics is that sending a smaller number of very high intent users, um, can be ultimately better for business than just, you know, flooding that top of funnel, which you know, over time y'all are in a great position to start experimenting because your numbers are so great. So, like, are those numbers great? Because most of those that are coming have you know read a blog post, they're on the email list, they're you know, they have a a, a deeper connection than just you know seeing an ad on Facebook or something. Um, but you know, as you as you shared in in the notes for this, you initially had a trial start rate of 26%, which is just crazy. I mean, to have 26% of, of everyone who downloads the app, um, and of course, then that that trickled down over time, and now you're closer to 20%. Um, but when you have 20% of downloads starting your free trial, and you have 80% of those folks... Uh, you don't need to feed the top of funnel as much to to create a great business and i think that's you know a dynamic that that a lot of developers aren't as aware of and aren't thinking clearly about those kind of funnel dynamics of of where to optimize and how to think about those things so it's it's great to see uh, y'all succeeding and building a great business on hundreds of downloads a day when, like, you would think, like, oh, I need thousands or tens of thousands a day to like build a real business, but you don't. If you are hitting the right audience with the right intent and then have your the the rest of the funnel really dialed in, but I am curious. So you're at hundreds of downloads a day. You've got. I think you said now like 30,000 people on your email list. Like what what are the next steps y'all are taking to start kind of growing the app from there?
1: Yeah, as I said, I'm now doing this full time. So I've got more time to dive into all the things I didn't know I need to do and other things I wanted to do. So, which is a good problem to have. Some things we're working on now or we're looking at is some sort of in-app referral program. We've been digging around about that. We, we know in, in speaking to the community members that a lot of people um, tell their friends and family about it. We've even um, been fortunate enough, some of the uh, people have heard about the program from their doctor, which has been really interesting and something that yeah, I wouldn't cool. have anticipated. So we're looking at that. Um, I'm doing some sort of live in-person um, group meetups wherever my travels take me to. My family and I were going to um, England. This summer. So I'm doing a meetup in Hyde Park on July third. And there's about thirty-five people like signed up to come meet me and we're gonna do a group run and you know have a coffee afterwards. So um diving a bit more into the community, also I'm looking at empowering ambassadors with some of the super fans of None to Run, really passionate users. So and they're happy to share and and show that they're you know, new running expertise to other people. So looking to sort of develop some sort of ambassador program. So I think the community aspect is you said it's, it's so powerful. And when people come to Underrun the actual app, they're already been warmed up and they've felt a connection to Underrun even before they download the app. So I think that's um, really important for you know, our current and future success. Um, Jeff, anything else that we're looking to work on?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the other things you started recently was uh, having uh, you hired out blog posts, right, to get some more content. So that, you know, I think that that's been a boost as well. Yep. We've got a a woman uh, who
1: who writes, her name is Lisa Jung. She's a really talented writer and she writes for other publications outside magazine and runner's world and so forth. So she does an article for us um, once a month and I'm looking to hopefully start writing again, which I haven't done in quite some time. Um, So a little bit more of that and then just speaking to more, you know, other founders and stuff and just sort of getting ideas and seeing, you know, what's working for other people. Yeah, we're really just in a discovery phase now that we that I have some more time to figure out, you know, what levers we want to pull and what levers have the biggest impact for our community and for for the app success.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to get to your stage with this like very community led growth, and then you know it's kind of interesting, you know, just the variety of people we have on the podcast and talk to, um, in webinars and other places. It's kind of fascinating to me that you haven't even brought up like paying for marketing yet, because you've just been so focused from the start on on this organic and community led growth. Uh, and then leaning into that with your first kind of marketing spend, being to hire an outside writer to actually write more content, which is what has been uh, a successful year in the past. But I'm curious, are, are y'all running Apple search ads? Are you do, Have you done any other form of paid marketing or has it all just been community email list and things like that?
1: We've done a little bit on the just Google search um, Marketing. Um, my wife All works right. for Google, so that that's helpful. <laughs> um, she sort of helped that, but it's literally um, driving traffic to that one article I spoke to, um, right. spoke about before, because um, I think that would have a higher impact. Again, we should probably measure this at some point, but then just driving them towards the app because they'll read this article and it's either going to highly resonate with them or not. And if it does resonate with them, they're going to dig deeper and check out the community, other articles, and then go to the app with a super high intent. Um, and then Jeff's done a little bit of ex- experimenting on the um, app store.
0: Yeah, you know, through the years when Apple search ads came out, I, I started doing some Apple search ad stuff with Intervals Pro, um, dipped our toes a little bit into it with None to Run. But, you know, especially nowadays with app transparency tracking, the, the CPMs are just so high. I don't know. We just yeah. have not seen really great success with, with that. Um, so yeah, it's, we would, we would like to drive more downloads that way, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking to somebody recently that has one of those companies that's, you know, they're kind of an app holding company, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, he used to do, a ton of money, pump a ton of money into Facebook and Instagram and stuff, but he's kind of really backed that off. And nowadays he's, he's actually kind of shifted and he's doing like a lot of TikTok videos and stuff, but right. you know, it's, it's hard to know we are not growth hackers. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. We, <laughs> we could use. Some but value. you're accidental
2: <laughs> growth hackers. I, I mean, I think it's brilliant. Like you know, you you found a post that resonated and it was, you know, maybe just happenstance, but it's something you were really passionate about. And so you wrote an impassioned article about why Couch to Five K isn't serving people well. And then you built an alternative. And and the the strategy of of sending Google search traffic to the website versus the app, that's that's brilliant. Because you would think like, you know, typical app marketing, like I want to get them in the app, that's the best experience. But I think you were exactly right, Mark, is that by sending them to the blog post first... That's what you're helping to to build that intent, and that's probably part of why you know it sounds like you know you're getting users from that blog post specifically, whether ad driven or, or SEO. You're getting word of mouth from other people who have been successful. Um, you know, so much of the traffic that you're getting has been pre-primed to to care and believe in the product, and then that's where you end up with a twenty percent <laughs> trial start rate and an eighty percent trial conversion rate is because what you're you're. Going going after the the high intent. So, you know, can you scale that to a, you know, 10 million dollar a year business? I don't know. We'll see. Um but like you're you're starting in a in a very smart, sustainable, cost-effective way to, to get capture that high intent. And so, you know, I mean, Slopes is a great example as we had the Curtis Herbert on the podcast uh, a few episodes back. And, you know, early on, it was just trickle, 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 trickle. And now he hit a million dollars in ARR and you guys are right along that path to, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing and you're going to hit that. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks, it's like you start to hit this wall and, and you're looking for opportunity and, and you guys kind of stumbled upon uh, an incredibly effective strategy to drive these super high intent users. That's really hard to do if you're, you know, doing it on Facebook or doing it, like you said, App Store search ads, you have high intent users, but it's gotten really expensive. And then in fitness categories, like my weather app, you know, categories like that, they're really saturated um, and the CPMs are so high that it's just, it's just super hard to compete. So yeah, you may not be growth hackers, but you but I I think you've 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 uh you're headed the right direction and built a, a really great strategy around that.
0: Yeah. I actually one of the other things that that Mark even did before the app was challenges, right, Mark? Yeah, that's right.
1: Um yeah, every pretty much every quarter or so we run a a challenge, which basically people come in and run the um do the whole program uh, or they start wherever they are and any other program that they're doing, um, and that's been really nice. Um, people rally around that and um, usually recruit other friends or family. You know, of course, they can't use the app if they're on an Android, but that's okay. They can use uh, they can use another app or they can use um, just program intervals themselves. But um, that's been really nice. So, yeah, we've actually for the challenges we actually used another community software, Mighty Networks, which maybe some subclub listeners are familiar with, but we're actually in the process of transitioning the Facebook group over to that just for, you know, probably the reasons everyone's familiar with, but the privacy um, and also just, you know, I can post something about an app update or a blog post and it's, you know, a couple hundred people see it out of 12,500. So, um, you know, while the numbers are there, they're not really there because they're not seeing the, they can't communicate with them. So anyways, we're slowly transitioning people to this new community.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate the way things have gone down with some of these bigger community platforms where you build up this audience and then then Facebook charges you to get access to your own audience uh, and they just see fewer and fewer of the posts. So it's smart to be moving to kind of, I mean, you know, it's a similar dynamic with with Apple, right? It's like we have to go through this platform and Apple maintains a lot of control over that relationship. Um, And, you know, now with being able to do web billing and other stuff, developers are clawing back a little bit of that direct relationship with customers. And but yeah, it's great to see kind of taking this community off of the, the owned platform and, and bringing it to your, your own space where they're going to see more of the posts, they're going to be more active. Yeah, I, I do want to switch gears and, and talk. Um, you, you know, you guys shared with me some really great experiments you've been doing that I think um, our, our listeners would be really interested to kind of hear some of your thinking and even some of the results you've gotten. Um, so I want to start with the this Blinkist style paywall. So it's it it you know made a lot of noise on on Twitter of um I was gonna give the summary, but I, I'll just let you uh, Jeff, if you want to take it away, like tell tell us what the deal is with this blinkist style paywall and then what impact it had when you uh added it to None to Run.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think it was what beginning of last year that um they uh wrote about the uh Blinkist wrote about they redesigned their paywall and you know they they did they did some research first to to try to figure out what they want to do. And I th- I think the conclusion they came with Came to is a couple of different things. One is that uh, you know a lot of users still today are not completely comfortable with um, with subscription apps and, and trials. Right. And the number one fear that they had and complaint that Blinkist would get was that you know they would they they were afraid they were they were going to forget to cancel their free trial. You know if they didn't really want to subscribe, they were afraid they were going to forget to cancel. So they would either one not subscribe. Or two, they would subscribe and then they would just day one cancel, you know, and that's, that's my move. You know, that's what I do. You know, I don't want to forget either. So I tend to do that. And then what what they did to address that was, you know, your, your typical paywall is all about the value prop. Right. It's like, hey, subscribe to this app. You're going to get this feature, that that feature, blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, and they, they kind of turn that on their on its head. And in, instead of that, it's it's all about the free trial. It's like, hey, you got this free trial that's available to you. How does the free trial work? What's the timeline? And they also uh, came up with the concept of notifying the user, you know, with two days left before the free trial is over to remind them, hey, you got your free trial going. You know, if you wanna, you know, hope things are going well. If if not, you know, don't forget to cancel or you're gonna get charged. So they redesigned their paywall around that concept. So, like you said, you know, they got a lot of a lot of buzz on Twitter and stuff. A lot of lot of people implemented something similar. We we did the same. And we actually ended up we, we did pretty good A B testing on that. And we ended up with um very similar results to what they what they had, which I think they had an uptick of about I think of of free trial starts and ours was right around there. It was like, you know, 23, 25% increase in starts, you know, so it was good from that perspective. And, you know, they, they also found out it was just good from like a transparency and openness perspective, you know, just kind of building that trust and, and, you know, the reminder in the whole thing, put people at ease and, you know, and that ultimately helped increase conversion.
2: Did it have any impact on your um on your trial conversion? So did you see a commensurate drop in conversion rate when you reminded people to cancel?
0: Yeah, you know, I was I was actually I was actually afraid of that. That was the that was my biggest fear going into this. It's like, hey, you know, we're basically telling people, hey, cancel if you want to cancel, but it it really did not seem to have a significant impact on, you know, it seemed overall it was a it was definitely a net gain.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's impressive, and it it just goes to show. I mean, you know, there's a lot of apps out there, and and for a while, you know, Apple wasn't policing subscription paywalls very much, and so there were some like really shady tactics, and you know, a continue button with no mention of price, and um, and things like that. But it's like those only work so far, right? It's like you know, maybe you capture that one year, and you know, you. Increase your short-term revenue, but you're not you're not building true fans. You're not like you know growing a sustainable business. You're you're just like setting yourself up for high churn. And so it is really cool that that strategies like this end up not impacting the conversion rate because you're you're just like being upfront. You're being honest. You're being like you're you're filtering for the users who are really gonna care. And then I you know hopefully um, and ideally. You know you're going to see that in your retention numbers long term uh, by being up front like that versus like tricking people into subscribing and then just having them churn out. I don't I don't think we um, you put any any retention numbers in in the kind of notes that we were going to talk about today. But uh, off the top of your head, uh, putting you on the spot again, <laughs> uh, off the top of your head, like has retention gone uh, pretty well for y'all?
0: Yeah, we've we've been we've been really happy with our with our retention numbers. I think that's one of the things that's allowed us to grow our subscriptions. You know, from that initial kind of one thousand bump to what pushing pushing what nine thousand over nine thousand today, something like that. I don't actually have the the percent retention number off the top of my head, though.
2: Gotcha. Something you should you should be thinking about day and day. But it's actually, I mean, a good sign that it's not something you're as focused on. I mean, a lot of developers I talk to are, you know, have very high retention. And that's a that's a huge focus for them. Because I mean, very low retention, very high churn. Um, and, and it's it's more top of mind, you know, when when you are kind of bleeding out users. Um, so the fact that it's not top of mind for you, is probably a good sign. There are a couple of other experiments you did that I thought that were especially interesting. And, and it's great that you're actually like, you know, trying to measure the lift and like doing this more systematically. I've never been good at that over the years. Um, but one of the other ones was uh, changing out your app store screenshots. So uh, tell me about the impetus behind doing that and then how you actually uh, uh, created new screenshots and tested that.
0: Yeah, go, go ahead, Mark. You want to talk about working with the designer? The screenshot, yeah. So yeah. it started off, the screenshots
1: when the app launched were just created by Jeff, and Jeff's got a lot of talents, but I don't. He's not a he's not a designer, um, <laughs> but they served their purpose. they were totally fine, but over time, you know, you're just looking at little little hits you can improve on, and um, we decided to make them you know a bit more pretty, um, <laughs> and in in line with our audience. Um, so yeah, I engaged a designer who lives over in the UK, and. He was great to work with, and um, it's a much larger project or took longer than we had anticipated just for screenshots. But it took a while for us to come up with the right language and uh, imagery and so forth. But um, they turned out really well, and I think it it just gives the app a bit more of a polished look when people do land on the the app store and take a look at the screenshots uh, a bit more professional and polished. Um, And then Jeff, I believe, has some numbers. He ran a little bit of some A-B tests based on the old screenshots, which he can share.
0: Yeah. So um, it was actually great timing because right about the time that we were Coming out with the new screenshots, I think Apple launched their uh, A/B testing within App Store Connect right. to do. To so, so we decided, you know, let's go ahead and actually do a formal A/B test and and see, you know, what kind of lift we got from these new screenshots compared to the old ones. And the, the way they do it, you know, you can you can go out there and you can you've got the old screenshots, put the new screenshots. You say, you know, hey, show the old screenshots to fifty percent, show the new screenshots to fifty percent. It runs over a, a period of time until it gives you like a high confidence rate. And it, and it tells you like what percent better, you know, are the new screenshots compared to the old ones, as far as, um, impressions to app downloads. And we got, we got a 10% lift, um, from, the new screenshots. I actually kind of thought it might be a little bit more than that, but um, I know uh, some different people have had mixed things to say, I think, about the uh, the screenshot stuff in App Store Connect, but, um, you know, it, it seemed to work pretty well for us.
2: That's awesome. Did you just do like one new set of screenshots and AB tested that? Or have you have you now since like dramatically changed the messaging or tried like a whole different design or a different color scheme? Or, you know, have you done some other kind of dramatic tests to kind of validate those being the the best ones possible?
0: Um, yeah, we actually did this whole screenshot um, redesigned just a few months ago. So yeah, we would definitely like to do some some more things, some color testing, you know, you can even, you know, in App Store Connect, you can change the your icons, right? Have different color right. icons, have different icons. We, d- we definitely like to do some of that in the future for sure.
2: Gotcha. Um, another thing you talked about is um, improving the share card. And I don't, I don't think you put any hard numbers on it, but social sharing is one of those really tricky things. I've tried it in so many of my apps and and not seeing much success, but I also haven't it hasn't been as good of a natural fit compared to a fitness app where you're you're sharing a run and there's like you know Strava's done really well with it, and other fitness apps have done really well with it. Um, so yeah, tell me about kind of the thought behind improving that experience and then. Um, you know, were you able to measure the results on that or just kind of get a gut feel that, that it was improving word of mouth by, uh, having more people share their runs, um, out of none to run.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, I'm not sure i could give you hard numbers i think it's more of a gut feel but you know for us the biggest impact i think with the share cards was was within the community itself because the facebook group the mighty networks group you know are pretty active groups and people you know people post on there on a regular basis and what we wanted. to to do is we wanted to provide them like a, an easy way to post either you know their workout stats maybe just by themselves maybe along with a with a photo a lot of people take like a selfie while they're running or after they run or whatever um i added something in there where you could it shows the workout stats and you can type it and just type a little caption you know so they could just type whatever they want to say and it you know just shows up in there or you know th- that sort of thing so when we are, are on the Facebook and Mighty Networks groups, it's there. You know, people are doing that all the time. You know, it's it's really popular within that. So I think all it can do is is really kind of help build build the community on you know on the other hand um i actually started share cards in intervals pro and and i think i've kind of seen what what you've said there you know people don't people use it but they don't use it a ton you know what you know once in a while i'll get a app mention on instagram or something from somebody sharing something but it hasn't been a huge driver yeah
2: Yeah, there's gotta be like a really natural fit. And that that is really cool that even though it's somewhat like preaching to the choir, maybe it is kind of a self-reinforcing thing, is that you know, not everyone in the community is a subscriber. Um, and so seeing these the sharing within the community itself is like a constant reminder of like the value of the app and the importance of it and uh and how helpful it is, I imagine, you know, to to be fit and and grow and everything like that. So uh, and, you know that's something I, I've been thinking a lot about from like a freemium strategy perspective. And, and another question I, I didn't think to ask before is the balance of, of free features to what you put behind the paywall. Because this is a great example of like you know you, you've got you know whatever it is now thirty thousand people on the email list and you've got a big community around it. And for some apps, it can work really well to build up this free usage and then kind of market to those users so if if you know if there's enough um free stuff where people can really get some value and 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 become habituated to the app and and become users but then there's enough value that you put behind the paywall that there is incentive to actually pay Then you can, you just have this like built in marketing to just pick people off over time. I think, you know, All Trails is a good example of that, where there's enough free stuff that you don't have to subscribe, but, and they have a massive, you know, free pool. uh, And, but then over time, they just pick those people off. And so, you know, when you have for them, you know, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions now of these, free users. They're just such a fantastic marketing channel because they've already experienced some of the value. And then asking them to pay for a little more value just makes so much sense. So I've kind of uh, spoiled it if y'all are using a different strategy, but I'm curious like where, y- where y'all draw the line and how you think about
1: that part of yeah, the strategy. I can start, Jeff. Right now, we just offer one free workout on any of the, of the 3 plans so they don't get much Um, but where like you said all trails provides that experience all within the app we provide all the free stuff outside the app so you know maybe we should experiment more that it's inside the app but it's all provided outside the app so if they want if they want the plan for free it's available if they want audio files like a podcast version of the plan with me speaking in their earbuds saying run now, walk now, that's, that's free, that's available. We've got strength and mobility workouts, that's all free and available outside the app. So a lot of that material is inside the app. So I think where people go into the community um, more and more, and I think some of them just eventually, to be honest, get sick and tired of seeing the share cards and not being <laughs> involved in the app. And they're like, I might yeah. as well use the app because I'm not. I'm not in the club. I'm not in the cool club. No, so, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of do that, but it's just not in the app.
2: Yeah. No. That and, and I mean, back to the the marketing piece and the blog post resonating and everything y'all are doing. Like, it, it's such a fantastic strategy that you're building a lot of value outside of the app. But then there's so much value. In the app that it, it, it's it's a great funnel. So um yeah, so it sounds like you are giving away a ton of value so that by the time people come into the app, they they recognize that value and are more willing to pay, and more willing to start the trial.
1: Yeah, I do At the odd time we get a snarky rating review about the price. And I do try to jump in and remind them like, listen, like here's all the free stuff that's available to you. Go ahead and use it. But you know. Gap we yeah. need to charge for?
2: <laughs> yeah. What is your price? That's, that's something I actually didn't look up.
1: Oh right. Uh, our price currently is uh, thirty five ninety nine USD annually, or five ninety nine USD on a monthly basis.
2: Cool. Yeah, not not terribly expensive for, compared to a lot of other fitness apps, and compared to the value you you bring. Is that something y'all have experimented with as well?
1: Uh, we've done a little bit. We've we've raised them slightly from when we launched. Yeah, Jeff, you can comment. Probably we did do a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a little higher than when we launched, but we did we did have a period of time when we tested a higher price point, and it, it seemed to be right now that that price point that we're we're at right now it kind of seemed to be the sweet spot.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, we're gonna wrap up here in a little bit, but the the last kind of experiment um, that I wanted to talk through is this uh, quick trial start button. So you uh, on Twitter shared that you borrowed it from uh, Curtis Herbert of Slopes. Uh, But I think it's a a really cool thing. I wish, um, I I don't think he had implemented that before we talked on the podcast. I wish I would have gotten to talk to him about it. So I I don't know that most of our listeners will be familiar with what we're talking about. So why don't you tell me, Jeff, like what what this quick trial start button means and then what impact that you saw
0: from it? Um, yeah. So th- this has been an interesting experiment that's ongoing right now because um, we just I just kicked it off here at the beginning of the month. So it's it's definitely a work in progress. But, you know, it was inspired by a couple different things. The biggest thing was, uh, you know, Curtis is great. He's got Slope's Diaries. I think uh, his latest one was called something like building ramps, not walls. And um, the other thing that I kind of mixed in there at the same time was you know, as we mentioned, we've got a monthly and a yearly subscription and, you know, another growth hacking technique is to, is to maybe, you know, guide people toward the yearly subscription. So we kind of combine those two things in, in this experiment. So, you know, to kind of set things up, uh, you know, we've got a, just a simple one onboarding screen, and then the next screen is, is an onboarding paywall. And and actually most trial starts happen during onboarding. So of that. Twenty percent that that we talked about, about eighteen percent actually um, subscribe during the onboarding process. But you know that still leaves a good amount of people that have not you know subscribed to the app. And Curtis had a couple of key ideas. You know, I think the one was you know ask for the sale. <laughs> so right. you know, it's kind of kind of obvious, but you know a lot of a lot of devs are hesitant to actually you know ask you to subscribe right so you know the other thing was the whole idea of building ramps not walls you know a paywall is is a wall make it make it easy for um users to take advantage of this free week uh whatever kind of free trial that that you have so you know what he did was in kind of what a couple places main tabs in his app he has a little quick subscribe card you know, with basically just the bare bones, kind of a call to action, redeem your free week, you know, what the price is. And the genius part of that was when you tap that, it just directly starts the Apple in app purchase flow. Right. Where traditionally, in fact, that's that's the thing I don't I'm not even sure would have occurred to me because I'm still kind of have my old school, you know. Apple subscription rules from a couple of years ago, but things have kind of changed right. over the years, right? You know, so I would have just thrown them right into our big paywall. But what does that right. do? That gives them a whole nother screen to process and, you know, just make it, it's it's a free trial, make it easy for them to go ahead and start the free trial. So, you know, it removes a step of the process. And you know, it's been successful for us. We definitely have had, uh, you know, over the, I don't, we kind of mix a couple of different ideas together, but probably, Right. you know, I do, I do have stats on, you know, we've probably got close to what, a hundred subscriptions from that over the past couple of weeks um, from, from the quick. Uh, subscribe. The other thing about the quick subscribe is that it just subscribes you directly to the yearly. Now, there is a, a link in there to learn more that does bring up the free paywall and you could you could see both. But at the same time, I also changed that Blinkist style seven day trial paywall to just show by default the yearly subscription and then there's a link under that to see more you know see all the plans and then that that animates in the monthly and the yearly that's actually been the biggest change because before our mix of yearly and monthly subscriptions was 56 percent yearly and after you know making those two changes so changing that blanket style paywall and adding this quick subscribe. Over the past couple of weeks, our yearly subscriptions are now 76% versus 56%. Wow. Now, one of the things we're interested in is making is seeing how this affects conversion to pain, right? Um right. so the the jury's kind of still out on that, but the early indications are is is that things look good there as well. So you know I think it's a, it's definitely a net win for us. And you know the the yearly plan, we've we definitely see, you know, using revenue cat we, we could see since you guys recently added the long-term value Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is great, you know. It's like the first thing we did is like, what's our long term value of our yearly subscribers versus the long term value of our monthly subscribers? And even though our yearly subscription is half the price of the monthly, you know, we have a better long term value for those for those yearly subscriptions. So, um, so we have better LTV. And if they're doing a yearly subscription, they're saving fifty percent. So it's, yeah. it's a win all the way around.
2: Yeah, that's great. I think part of it, too, I like the framing of that quick start button um, is that instead of like start your free trial, it's redeem your free week. Um, right. And I, I like that kind of reframing that, that Curtis did and, and y'all are using. And, and I, I'm keen to use it in my app as well. For an app that delivers value, you you, you really—it's not just a free trial. You really are like giving them value, you know. Like with my uh, weather app, for example, like it costs us every time somebody opens the app and then, you know, we're introducing widgets and Apple watch complications soon. And like, those are really expensive. And so, you know, we're, we're giving them value for free. So it's not just a a free trial. It really is a a value exchange where we're giving them something. And so I really like that reframing of redeem your free week versus start a free trial. So I, I think that's really cool as well. Well, any, any uh, final thoughts as we wrap up? Um, usually, you know, guests are, are hiring or, you know, have something to pitch or, or something like that. Um, but anything y'all want to share as we wrap up? I really appreciate y'all being so open, you know, kind of like Curtis, I appreciate y'all uh, kind of opening opening the the kimono as it were and uh and being so uh specific about the the exact you know things that you you've seen in percentages and revenue and that kind of stuff so i, I appreciate all that um uh, but yeah any anything else you want to share as we wrap up
1: nothing really for me i guess you know if anyone's interested in running check out the, the website <laughs> nunderun.com uh, if there are any questions they can email me mark at um also just quickly give a shout out we've talked about Curtis a few times but I wanted to thank him because he right when I started working with Jeff, I actually emailed him a few times about like a survey that he sent to his customers and a few other little tidbits, and he has been uh, happily shared his time and expertise with me. So thanks to him. I'm sure he'll probably be listening to this podcast. Yeah, Jeff, anything
0: from your end? Um, Yeah, definitely. Ditto as far as. Curtis goes. And, you know, another one too is, uh, Ariel from app figures. I, you know, everything I've learned about ASO, I've, I've learned from Ariel. You know, he's, he's got great content videos and blog posts and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, if there's anybody from Apple listening out there, I could, we could use some Apple love and that <laughs> in the promotional space. Apple does listen to the podcast. <laughs> We've got a little bit of that from, from intervals, but, uh, we, we haven't seen any of that for none to run yet.
2: Yeah, I, I did see uh, your icon was on uh, Apple Watch icon was shown at WWDC. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was that was definitely a bucket list thing. It was one of those uh, where they have thousands of app watch icons flying past right. the screen. You know, so I had my sub second of fame there for the app.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, well, again, thank you all so much for sharing. I think it, it's just such a unique um, business and a unique approach to app growth, a unique approach to marketing. And, um, you know, I, I think even some of the biggest apps out there have something to learn from, from some of these strategies that y'all have been working on. Uh, so again, thank you all so much for sharing. And that's it. Thanks, David. Thanks.
0: To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening until next time.